0: Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Um, Glad to be before you uh, one more time. Happy New Year, if that's still in order. Like we three, I think we can still say that. Well, I am glad to just be able to uh, break uh, the bread of life for you. This morning, we're going to be looking uh, or continuing in our series, uh, our identity series, but specifically drilling down into our mission. Again, we as a church, uh, we desire our ambition, our goal, uh, our mission is to make disciples who are growing in the gospel um, as a family while on mission. And so we're going to explore more deeply what that means for us in the life of our church as we look at uh, another passage in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. But before we get started, let's pray. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm thankful to You for every opportunity to gather as Your body. I'm also thankful, Lord God, for every opportunity to look into Your Word and every opportunity to express that unique privilege and gift, Lord God, of prayer and communicating to You. And also, Lord God, every opportunity we have to preach. And so I ask, oh God, that you would please be with us in this moment, uh, that whether we are here or whether we are at home, no matter where we are viewing this, whether we are viewing it uh, in the moment or whether we're viewing it at a subsequent time after Sunday, uh, Lord God, that you would meet with us, Lord God, through the life and the light of your word. And our hearts, Lord God, would just uh, more greatly behold the, the wonderful face of Jesus be transformed accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you've already heard, we're going to be looking back at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. Uh, Verses 17 through 24 offer us this very interesting portrait. And I want to read it just kind of for us one more time before we officially kind of launch into the message. It reads as follows. "Um, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart Um, and they have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way that you've learned christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When I read this passage, I think about the old school infomercials. Now there's a version of infomercials uh, available to every generation, but I remember my personal favorite kind of infomercial. And these were the kinds of commercials where a person would come on and maybe they would have like a pair of khaki pants or like a white blouse or a white shirt, and they would lay it out and then they would spill wine on it, red wine in particular. Or they would rub on it some spaghetti sauce, maybe mustard, ketchup, or even rub into it charcoal or chocolate. Sometimes they would rub all of those elements into the fabric of this particular garment. And all of us at home and those people in the television audience would ooh and ah because we knew that that garment had been just irreparably stained. It was destroyed. There was no way that it could return to its former and original state. But, just like clockwork, we know that the person on the infomercial would pull out this spray bottle or whatever way that this particular substance was going to be dispensed, and they would, pss, pss, pss. Spray it onto the garment, and they would rub out that stain, and we would all be ooh and ah at how, how well that particular detergent or that particular product worked in getting out those stains. Why did we enjoy those shows? And even if ninety-nine percent of the time, or actually in my case, eighty-nine percent of the time, we never move forward with buying the product we would indeed at least watch how it finished because we wanted to see that transformation. That's because stories of transformation are attractive to all of us. Maybe you don't remember the old school 80s and 90s uh, infomercials, but perhaps you've been flipping through a magazine while sitting uh, in a salon and you see the picture of a young lady, maybe about your size or about your former size, and uh, she's holding up a sign that shows that on this particular date and at this particular time, she weighed this amount. And now she weighs something radically different. And you see these pictures or these images of transformation. And even if you have no intentions of buying that particular exercise regimen or diet product, you're still intrigued by transformation because transformation stories throughout all generations have always been attracted to us. Maybe you're a person who's just kind of, you know, lying awake at night, thumbing your way through Instagram. And sure enough, you finally land at some place where a a young person uh, says, you know, hey, I started doing this particular kind of workout back in October of 2019. And this is how I looked. And they're usually kind of slumped over and not looking very excited, very motivated. And their body is obviously not in the best of shape. And then you look on the other side and they show you fast forward to January of 2021 and they're turning around and slightly posed and puckered and pushing out parts of their body to show you how much they've transformed. And so whether you see it in a magazine, on an infomercial, or even uh, on on the internet, it doesn't matter, we are all attracted to stories of incredible transformation. One more, right? Uh, You remember the ones that I believe are most iconic as well. you have a person who's holding out a big pair of pants and they fill those pants in one photo, maybe like a size 60 or 50 waist, and then suddenly on another photo, you see them just to the right, having been totally transformed, the same person who looks like they have lost the equivalent of two other people holding out these enormous pants and standing in one side of the other pants. And even if you don't plan on buying the product, you're still intrigued by the message, why? Because we're all attracted to stories of true and authentic transformation. Well, if you're attracted to stories of transformation like I am, then you should definitely be attracted to this story or this call that we have for us in the scriptures. You see here in Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 through 24, the apostle Paul makes the following appeal. And I believe it's this, that if we are growing in the gospel, it should produce transformation that is undeniable. If we are really growing in the gospel, it should produce a transformation that is undeniable. Paul begins right there in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 by saying you should I just I'm urging you you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And he builds his argument on two basic premises as to why this new life or this new style or what we would call growing in the gospel that produces transformation that is undeniable. He, he, he builds it on two major pillars. And I believe that one of those pillars is found in verse 17 through 19 and the other pillar is found in verses 20 through 24. And here are those two primary pillars. You see, if a person is growing in the gospel, the transformation in their life should be undeniable. And, the, and those undeniable evidence will be as follows, because we no longer walk like them, that is the Gentiles, and we no longer look like us, that is our old self. You see, if you follow the theme and the ethos of this particular text or the pathos of this particular text, What you will find is that while Paul begins like by saying, don't be like them, the Gentiles, they actually were the Gentiles. These are people who were actually transformed and converted from that lifestyle. And so gospel growth should produce transformation that shows up in two incredible and undeniable ways. And what are those ways? Number one, we no longer walk like them, but at the same time, we no longer look like us because we have been made into a new creation in Christ. Now, one must ask the question, why is it that growing in the gospel should produce transformation that is undeniable? Why should it produce that Why is it that our lives should end up not looking like theirs, and then in the end, we won't even look like us? What produces this transformation? Well, I'll tell you what it is. There are several principles in this particular passage that outline how we, if we have properly learned Christ, looked at Him, and grown in the gospel, it will produce this undeniable transformation. And these four basic ideas outline where this transformation comes from as we're growing in the gospel, and they are as follows. If I'm growing in the gospel, number one, this will happen. We will have a different awareness. We will have a different kind of awareness. If we're growing in the gospel, number two, we will have a different kind of ambition. We will have a different kind of ambition. Number three, if we are growing in the gospel, we will have a different appetite. We will have a different appetite. And number four, if we are growing in the gospel, transformation takes place because we also have a different aptitude. We have a different aptitude. So how is it actually that, you know, according to what Paul says here in verse 20, But that is not the way you learned Christ. He gives out this really dirty laundry list saying that the the Gentiles operate in the futility of mind, darkness of understanding, alienated hearts, ignorance having a hardness of heart, being callous and greedy for all kinds of impurity. The question we have to ask is, what is it about what he says in verse 20, the learning of Christ and the understanding of the truth, that produces this new awareness, this new ambition, this new appetite, and this new aptitude that transforms us? What is it about the gospel that produces these things? And that's what we want to explore. Well, first of all, how does the gospel actually bring about new awareness? Well, quite simply, if you read and understand the gospel and you see it throughout the New Testament as it is presented to us, it makes us immediately aware of our personal fallenness, the world's brokenness and our consequent indebtedness due to God's unhappiness. I'll say that again. When you read the gospel and just give it a plain reading, it informs you and makes you aware. It raises your awareness of your own personal fallenness, the world's brokenness, our subsequent indebtedness, because all of these things produce to God's unhappiness. And so the gospel, first and foremost, raises our awareness of that reality. And these things are real, whether the world recognizes them or not. They just don't become really addressed as the core issue until we respond to the gospel and respond to God's solution for these great issues. When I think about how the gospel raises our awareness of our fallenness, our brokenness, our indebtedness, and God's subsequent unhappiness, I think about reading your credit card services or card services member or card member services agreement. I know most of us, if you have a credit card, you probably just read the bill page to see how much you have to pay that month, and maybe you glance to see what your big balance is if you're actively carrying debt. But I want to encourage every one of you, even if you don't have a balance on your credit card, to just take a time, take some time, and read the full card member services agreement. It is a staggering document that offers these insights as to what the credit card is actually about that you may have never been aware of, regardless of how much debt you have. It's a staggering portrayal of how they can sell your information, of how you can't sue them under certain circumstances, which states allow certain levels of arbitration and not. What are they doing with your identity, how much interest they can charge you, how they can bankrupt you, what they can take from you. Uh, The the credit card services agreement is this multiple pages of information that many of us might consider to be boring and obtuse that gets in the way of the real use for our credit card. But it is uh, uh, it is something that we want to be vitally aware of because these are the rules of engagement for how credit card companies are handling us. But one of the most staggering portrayals, the most staggering presentations that I've ever seen in a credit card services member agreement is this little chart that they give you that shows you what your current interest rate is. And if you only pay the minimums on a particular balance, that it will take you more than your own lifetime to pay the credit card off. This is a powerful and wonderful awareness that all of us need, not only about our indebtedness if you have a credit card with an unpaid balance, but it also is a great typification of what the gospel does. You see, the indebtedness that we have to the credit card companies, the brokenness of these agreements, and the flaws and the fallenness of of credit card debt, they always existed. But it's not until you read it in the agreement that the awareness leaps off the page. And this is the same thing that the gospel does. The the brokenness and the fallenness and the indebtedness and the unhappiness of God concerning the sinfulness of mankind is ready. It is clear. It is obvious. It is right under our noses. But it is the gospel that boils it down for us and makes it available to us in plain language where we can clearly see it and understand it. It's important for those who are being transformed, who are growing in the gospel, to also continue to grow in our preaching of the gospel so that our awareness of what's really fallen, what's really broken, and what really makes the heart of God uh, unhappy, we need to regularly acquaint ourselves with this. This is not a message that we read once and go away saying, oh, that used to be my situation. We need to always grow in our awareness of what's working and what's not working in our world via the lens of of the gospel. You see when I have an increase in awareness of what the issues are around me it should also increase my commitment to socializing the solution. So for those of us that have been transformed or that are being transformed, we have a missional responsibility to not just know the gospel and to be aware of it in the background of our lives, but to also be aware, have an increased awareness but also socialize the solution. Let me give you a working example of how right now in this current state of pandemic, many people are practicing this same ethic that I'm talking about when I say increase awareness of an issue should come with an increased commitment to socialize a solution. Many of us have probably been in a public or a social environment where someone wasn't wearing their mask or maybe during this pandemic, they weren't wearing it properly. And you were just unduly annoyed. This person is wearing the mask below their nose, on their chin, or they're not wearing one at all, or they're standing too close to you. They're not following the social distancing rules. But you are aware of the seriousness of the issue. You've either had a friend or a family member who has been infected by the coronavirus, or maybe has died due to the coronavirus. And you are intimately aware of how broken, fallen, insidious, and and horrible this disease is. And because you have this increased awareness of just how horrible the problem is, you have an increased commitment to addressing the solution. And even if it's embarrassing for you or other family members, you could care less. You address people who aren't wearing their masks. You address people who aren't social distancing. You have no problem opening your mouth and saying, don't you understand the solution here that if we're gonna get over this issue in our culture and in our country, you need to wear your mask, that you need to take the strategies for solutions seriously? Notice how with an increased awareness of the problem, we have an increased commitment to socializing the solution. So I dare say, beloved, that if you are aware of the realities of the pandemic and you are equally committed to making sure others are aware and that they know what the proper solutions are, I would urge you to also be equally committed to your sharing of the gospel. You see, it is only when you have a raised awareness of just how serious our brokenness and our fallenness and our indebtedness before God is that you will also have an equal commitment to socializing the solution. And so... Those who are growing in the gospel have undeniable uh, forms of transformation or transformation in their lives is undeniable because they have a raised awareness of the solution and it comes out of their lives in a commitment to socialize a solution because they have been so deeply impacted by the problem. Well then, but not only, not only, not only are those who are growing in the gospel going to have an increased sense of awareness or or, or different kind of awareness that undergirds their great... Undeniable transformation. But they also have a different ambition. We also have a different ambition. The gospel has, gives people a different life ambition. This is one of the, the great distinguishing factors between us and the world, and even us and our old selves, right? And so, what do we mean by this new ambition? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have a new ambition. We have a different ambition from the rest of the world. And that ambition can really be understood in, in, in this way. I, I'd like to tell you a story. You know, I'm always full of them. Um, 1987, maybe 88. I was 14, 15, 15 years old um, at the time. And uh, I got my very first job outside of like cutting grass and stuff like that. And uh, so I get this job at working at Pet Boys in Snellville, right there off of Main Street or Highway 78. And uh, I got the job because my brother in law worked there. Um, I was underage, I was unqualified, um, and I was uh, whatever. But I also understood something else. Because I was underage and unqualified, and I understood that I had gotten this job by way of my relationship with somebody else who was in the front office, one of the managers in that place, it did something to me concerning my ambition. I wasn't there working because I felt like I was going to lose my job. I was working because I wanted to please the person who had put their neck out and put their name on the line to get me in that place. I knew that my presence there was a work of grace. I understood that despite my unqualifications and my underage presence in the job, that this job was a work of grace. And I wanted to please my brother-in-law, but I also wanted to do something else. I wanted to prove to others that his grace to me was no mistake. All of us can probably identify with maybe having worked on a space and maybe you found out that someone got their job because of a connection with someone higher up in the front office. And oftentimes when we make that discovery, we smirk and we say to ourselves, oh, no wonder. And it it really doesn't solicit a high level of compliment. But in my scenario, in this scenario, I wanted to work in a way, I had an ambition that was much bigger than trying to keep my job or just get my check because everybody was doing that. I wanted to work in a way that let people know that the grace was not wasted on me, that this grace given to me in this job was no mistake. Well, this is emblematic of the same kind of ambition that we should have no matter what spaces we occupy in this life, because the Bible says that we have been saved for good works, that we are uh, a working from a position of grace, not that anything that we have, we could have earned on our own. No matter what job you're in or what space you occupy, I want to ask us who are growing in the gospel to work with, do a new and a different ambition as one of the undeniable markers of our transformation. And here's the ambition I want us to work under. We are working not for a check, but we are working to change the spaces where we work to reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ. Something about our lives and the places where we work should be indicative of incredible difference. It's not gonna be a Christian hoodie or a Christian t-shirt, Christian necklace, but it should be our actual work ethic and the way that we show up and the kind of impact that we have on the places where we are, it should be intentionally different. And when people make the discovery When people make the discovery that we are followers of Christ, this is what I hope is happening, that our lives would tell a beautiful story about how grace works and not a bothersome story about how grace works. I don't know if you caught that. When people on my job or in any other space, my place where I volunteer, any space where I occupy by the grace of God, and people discover that I'm a Christian, a follower of Christ, it would be my hope. That the way I have been living tells a beautiful story about how God's grace works and not a bothersome story. In other words, I hope that the way that I and others like who who are growing in the gospel are living out their lives in the respective spaces and the way we handle ourselves, whether it's uh, at the customer service counter when we're slightly perturbed, whether it be on social media, when we pick up the phone and have to handle issues with our bosses, or when we address or point out sins in the lives of our co-workers, or when we point out social issues and things like that in the various spaces where we are. I hope when people discover that we are Christians, that the way we handle ourselves tells a beautiful story about how God's grace works on those of us who are unworthy and not a bothersome story. I hope that it doesn't leave people scratching their heads, saying, how in the world could this person be a follower of Christ? I'm confused about this whole thing that you're saved by grace and not by works. It should tell a beautiful story. Let our lives tell a beautiful transformed story of how grace works when people discover how um, that, that we that we are believers. whether you got the job on a hookup or not, every place where we go we are there operating as Christ's workmanship and let us live with that new ambition. So I said that when we're growing in the gospel it gives us a different awareness, right It also should give us a different ambition. but there's something else that I believe it should do if you look at verses 22 and 23. Verses 23 and 23, Paul says, now listen, this is not the way you learned Christ. Don't live like uh, the folks with futility of mind, the Gentiles. The way you have learned Christ should translate in this, in verse 22, to put off the old self which belongs to your former life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So the third tenet that should be apparent and undeniable in the lives of those who are growing in the gospel and as a result being transformed is this, that we have not only new awareness and a new ambition, but we also have new appetites. How exactly do we go about gaining or, or, or garnering these brand new appetites? I'd love to kind of take you to another text that I believe speaks to this whole idea of renewing our minds. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you. If you're an old King James person, is I beseech you, therefore, brother. But this one says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what, is the good and, accept, and what is good and acceptable and is perfect. So we are called to this idea of having brand new desires or new appetites. And the Bible says that the way that that happened isn't magical. It is meaningful, but it ain't magical. It says it has to be intentional, a work of renewing my mind. This is how believers who are being transformed have an undeniable transformation or a a, a renewed sense of appetites and desires in this world. I would liken one half of our transformation or this renewal of our mind to the idea of taking out the trash. We need to renew our minds regularly. Think about your process for taking out the trash. The trash goes out regularly. You take the bag out of the can, tie it up, put it out. And maybe in some of your homes, trash takeout happens daily. But it at least happens weekly that you roll the can down to the street. But not only do you take the bag out and put it in the larger can and roll it down the street, but you also replace that bag with a clean bag. But then there comes a time when even replacing the clean bag isn't enough for renewal, is it? Because the the trash can still shows evidence and smells and bacteria of trash that hasn't been in there in a long time. So not only do you take out the trash regularly, but at another interval you put in a new bag, and at another interval you also will rinse out the can itself. And even if that doesn't produce the level of cleanliness or tidiness or renewal that you want in your home, we do what? We'll go ahead and replace the can. That's one aspect of what the renewal of the mind looks like through prayer, through fasting, through God's Word, we need to regularly take out the trash of these minds. Because on a daily basis, just like in our homes, Our minds collect trash. They collect garbage that is counterintuitive to growth in the gospel, and it needs to be taken out regularly. And hopefully, you're praying and fasting. You're praying daily, and you're reading your Word daily, and intermittently, you're also fasting because these are the mechanisms that the Word of God has given us for mental renewal. But let me ask you this. What if, what if an interior decorator came to your home, walked in, and surveyed the place and was like, you know what? I'm going to give you guys a total transformation. I'm going to totally transform this home. And when they and, and they, they, they put on the table a proposal and then they went to do their home decor, little upgrade or transformation. And all they did was take out the trash. Wouldn't you be offended? Wouldn't you be perplexed? Wouldn't you be boofed? <laughs> Wouldn't you be annoyed if someone said they're going to give you total transformation and all they did was take out the trash? I would be, too. And you should be. Because renewal of the mind isn't just an activity of taking out the trash on a daily basis through prayer and fasting and the Word on a regular basis, but there's something else that needs to happen if there's going to be a total transformation, because that's what God's calling us to, not just trash management, but total remodeling. And the total remodeling effort also begins with these words that we find right here in our Bibles in another place where where we are told that we should not only this, but we should also focus our hearts and minds on other things things. In Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine, it says, finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned, received and heard and seen of me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we're called when it comes to renewal to not only just remove the trash on a regular basis, but also to replace it, to remodel our lives lives by thinking on things that honor God. And so, those who are growing in the gospel are not only taking out the trash, but they're also remodeling the space through the things that we feast and focus our hearts and minds on. Are you a believer who in this season of unprecedented frustration with the attitudes and and workings in your world and, and coworkers and people around you, are you the kind of person that has difficulty thinking uh, or, or, ho- or, or holding your tongue, or at least when you use your tongue, using it in a way that has a redemptive impact on others, you are a prime candidate for mental renewal. Are you the kind of person that is struggling so hard to speak to the issues of the day that you have just felt yourself being uh, uh, just, just in a total, you just put in, you, you're, in a, you're in a place of total silence because you can't find redemptive words because those things around you frustrate you so much you are a prime candidate for mental renewal, not just a daily or regular intermittent taking out the trash through prayer, fasting, and the word, but also to replace that space, remodel that space with those things that are beautiful and excellent and that are commendable. We need to be supernaturally transformed on the inside. There is a character work that needs to take place, and the Holy Spirit says, I can do, the Holy Spirit can do anything, but yet He calls us to participate in our own transformation. Participate in our own rescue by focusing on those things that are lovely, that are pure, that are just and that is commendable and that are things that are excellent and things that are worthy of praise. I want to caution you. I want to caution you during this day and time. It is so easy to feed ourselves a steady diet of brokenness and fallenness, treachery, injustice. It is so easy to fill our hearts and minds with all of the data points of what's damnable and wrong with this world, that when we speak, that's all we speak about and all we speak to. And we can't speak in a redemptive way because there are no redemptive surpluses in our heart. We need to fill our hearts and minds with those things that are excellent and true so that we have the appropriate ammunition or the armament to speak to things in a way that produces transformation. And so I want to ask you, if you're growing in the gospel, if you're growing in the gospel in a way that produces transformation that's undeniable, you ought to be witnessing a new awareness. You ought to be witnessing a, a new sense of ambition, You ought to be experiencing a brand new appetite, but you also ought to be experiencing what the Apostle Paul points out in verses 23 and 24. Look at these in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're not only If we're growing in the gospel, going to experience a new awareness, that new awareness, remember this big idea now, that new awareness is going to raise our awareness of the real uh, uh, problems in our day so that we can, with that increased awareness, be equally committed to communicating the real solutions. It's also going to result in an increase or excuse me, a difference in our ambition so that the way that we work and move and navigate in this life won't be like everybody else around us. And when people take notice that we are different and we're working under a different kind of ethic, a different kind of energy, our lives will tell a beautiful story about God's grace and not a bothersome story. But then we also want to be people who operate with a different appetite not just trying to remove the trash from my mind, but also constantly uh, remodeling my mind and my soul with a replacing of things that are excellent, true, and just, and pure, and noteworthy. But then there is a fourth thing that we want to do. There's a fourth thing that needs to be apparent in our lives, and that is that we should have a different aptitude. In other words, the Bible says, salvation and transformation, growing in the gospel, isn't just this, um, this artful sequence of behavior management. It is actually a supernatural work where your aptitude, your ceiling has changed. You are being transformed to the image of Christ. According to Romans chapter 8, Verse 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment you came to know Christ, if you are growing in the gospel, your aptitude for transformation is changing. In other words, you and I should not only be changing so that we look different from the world, but so that we look different from our old selves, so that we look different from us, so that we're being transformed in a way that transcends how much we even thought we could change, because if God isn't able to change us beyond how we ever changed, then the Lord is not able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think. And that's what the scriptures say that he's able to do. So he's able to raise my ceiling and my aptitude for transformation above and beyond anything that I ever thought. But what exactly does it mean for me to have this different aptitude per my growth in the gospel? The Bible puts it this way, the one of the ways that God, so He guarantees me transformation, but then another text tells me this, He guarantees me, excuse me, confirmation to con- being conformed to the image of Christ, but then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, actively is, a new creation. The old person has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, through Christ reconciling us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So then, those of us who have been transformed, who have become a new creation in Christ, those of us who have been guaranteed a new ceiling that will be transformed in ways beyond our own asking or thinking, we have then in turn been given a ministry of reconciliation according to the scriptures. So one of the evidences of our transformation is not only our transformation, but the fact that we turn around and we become stewards of transformation in the lives of others. This particular passage makes me think about, uh, my time when I used to travel uh, at, the, at the former job, travel a great deal. I was a frequent flyer. I had the you know, TSA pre-check all of the bells and whistles for people who flew uh, thousands or hundreds of thousands of miles uh, a year and all the time. And I remember how annoyed I would be whenever, the, uh, my, my, whenever my carry-on luggage would go through and they would pull it off to the side and say that they saw something. I was annoyed because I knew all the rules for flying. I had the special belts and shoes that I knew would never go off. As a matter of fact, I didn't have to take my belts and shoes off. I made sure that in my bag I had packed with all the appropriate protocol and I had no reason for them to ever pull my belt off uh, off to the side. But so they would every once in a while. And the uh, TSA agent would bring me over to the side, one-on-one, put on her gloves. She'd pull the bag off and begin to unzip it. Before she placed her hands in, she would look at me and say, Mr. Duberry, or whatever she would call me at the time, is there anything here I need to be concerned about that might puncture me or cut me or anything like that? And I would say, no, go ahead and do your thing. And I'm standing there just kind of annoyed in my suit because, you know, I know that there's no reason for my bag to be pulled off the belt. And sure enough, she would go through these layers of clothes and other accoutrements that I may have had in my bag and she would look up on the screen. And what I loved about the x-ray screen that the TSA agents had is it looked past all of the, all of the mess. It looked past the clothes. It didn't care whether or not I had the newest Samsonite bag. It didn't care whether or not I had custom or Joseph A. Banks shirts. It didn't care about what color or kind of suits I had. It didn't care about watches. It looked past all of that and it saw right to the issue. In my toiletries bag, deep in one of the recess pockets, there may have been a tiny pair of scissors or maybe a pair of pliers that I forgot, uh, or maybe even a little razor blade that I was totally obscured to me, but totally visible to her. This is what I believe is the motif of those who are participating in active stewards of transformation. We should be like the great TSA agents who, who bring people aside one-on-one, unzip their bags slowly and carefully, and unpack all these things that might be laying underneath the different social issues that we see in our, in our world today and say, you know what, here's the main thing. Here's the main thing. This is, this is what I see through the lens of the gospel. This is the primary issue. You see, when we will unpack the primary issue for people, they'll always be appreciative. I was always appreciative when the TSA would pull me aside, even though I was initially annoyed. I was appreciative of the fact that they weren't in there trying to look at or judge my clothes or steal my attire. They were there to ensure the safety of other passengers. And when they would look at the bag and see what the main issue was, they would just gently and carefully unfold those things and go to it. I'm asking us to be like that. If we are people who have been transformed, I'm asking us to be agents of transformation in the lives of others. If you're growing in the gospel, you do this. You'll not only experience transformation on your own, but missionally, you will be a part of the transformation of others. You'd be willing to take people aside and pull back the layers of all of the social junk happening in our society, social injustice, varying degrees of privilege, racism, uh, nationalism, pride, you can pull back all those layers, get to the heart of issue, what's really dangerous. This is what we are called to do as stewards. Don't ignore the other issues, but make sure on your way to unpacking all of the social phenomenon and the anomalies in our culture today that divide. If you're growing in the gospel, you don't stop shy of getting to the main thing. And the main problem that we have in our culture is that it is fallen and that it is broken and that there is a great indebtedness before God. But that fallenness and that brokenness manifests itself in a variety of different divisive ways in our day. Our world desperately needs stewards of reconciliation, stewards of transformation, people who themselves are actively walking in transformation and know how to unpack the issues of our day and bring people to the one core issue that's the real deal. And then once you remove that one core issue, they gradually would repack the bag and unzip it up and send me on my way. I believe that this is the role that we ought to play in our day that we are being transformed so that we can be agents of transformation in the lives of others. We need to help people look through the varying layers of cultural clothing, things that they believe are being attacked in this life, in this day, right now in America, uh, people are woefully dissatisfied with the status quo. And as a result, there's almost just kind of this snatch and grab to to to, to go and grab and, and try to protect everything that is mine. Uh, anything that I believe is going to uh, 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 pose an attack on what I hold sacred and dear. And in all of that, we the church needs to help people understand that what you're really fighting for is something that Christ has already died for. You want to be whole. You want to be transformed. You want peace. You want grace. You want to be renewed you want to be transformed we as a church ought to be stewards and agents of transformation let's help the world around us by first living a transformed life and then let us carefully unpack all of these social issues and get to the main thing that's calling people not to be transformed let's pray father in the name of jesus we thank you and praise you for every day that you would uh give us to draw this fresh air that you provide and enjoy Uh, These surroundings Heavenly Father this beautiful uh, earth that you have uh, uh, given us We thank you for the beauties of your word and we beg and ask oh holy God and Father that you would that you would Help us to grow in the gospel so that the transformation in our lives is undeniable and that we would in turn be stewards and agents of transformation in the lives of others around us We thank you for the work that you saved us for we thank you for fresh ambition new new appetites and new awareness May we be equally as committed, Lord God, to sharing your word as we are, Lord God, to showing people where they've missed it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.